Tonight, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is salvation. I'm going to say Jesus is salvation. If you're taking notes, which I'm going to really encourage tonight, take notes. Even if you want to pull out your phone and take notes, I'm all about it. Just put yourself on do not disturb. If you're not going to do that, um, you, maybe you have self-control. If you don't have self-control, don't pull your phone out, okay? Just really listen hard. But today we're going to be talking about how Jesus is salvation. One more time, ever say Jesus is salvation. And tonight what I want to do is, is build on what Pastor Tim spoke on last week. If you are here last week, you know that Pastor Tim was talking about sin. Everyone say sin. Big word in the church, right? We're, he was talking about sin and, and the reality that we are all lost and hopeless without Jesus, right? This is like a, a core piece of the gospel because if we don't understand that we are sinners and that we are hopeless, that we deserve eternal hell, and I just said the word, I know, that we deserve eternity in hell, then honestly the gospel starts to, to kind of lose its meaning. It starts to be something that we take lightly, something that's just like, yeah, a cute story, and we get the, the get out of hell free car when you pray the prayer, and it's like, check, I get to keep on doing my thing. But if we realize the weight of our sin, it showcases even more how great the love and the mercy and grace of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? And so if you didn't get to listen to that message last week, we have a podcast. I don't know if you guys knew that. So go to find New Life Student Ministries podcast on like Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts, okay? Go ahead and listen to that message. But today I want to build on that and talk about this idea, this concept, this core belief of salvation. Everyone say salvation. Now this is what I want to do. Is first, before we, we jump in, there's, there's so much good news when we, talk, when we talk about salvation, what Jesus has done for you and for me. But if, I, if I'm being honest with you guys, I actually really feel led to challenge you guys tonight. I feel led to challenge you guys because the reality is that when we, when we talk about salvation in the church today, sometimes we have a very loose definition of what that is, Right? Like, such we think, it's just kind of like someone shows up to church, they pray the prayer, and all of a sudden it's like salvation, like boom. And that's kind of what all it's become to us. But I want to go after what is the biblical idea of salvation. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this question down. I want you to ponder this as we go through the message. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? And with that question in mind, I want to jump in. Tonight to challenge you guys, but also for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, for us to be amazed by the gospel, for us to be wowed again by the gospel, for us to be moved again by the gospel. That is my heart for you guys as an older brother in the faith is that, that tonight all of us would fix our eyes on Jesus and be amazed by his goodness. Amen. So go ahead and bow your heads. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so, so beautiful. You are far better than anything else on this earth. God, I, I acknowledge, I acknowledge for all of us that, that we can't get ourselves to see you as better. We can't, we can't stir up our passion enough to try to to try really hard to see you as better. Holy Spirit, we need your work in our hearts to help us to see you and to know you. So God, I'm, I'm praying, I'm interceding tonight for my brothers and sisters in this room. 
those who have followed Jesus for years, and the gospel has become a dormant, sleepy message. Wake us up, God. My brothers and sisters in this room who have never really heard the gospel, they've never truly given their lives to you, they've never received the free and beautiful gift of salvation, tonight, God, would you work in hearts? Tonight, would you transform? Tonight, would you renew us? Tonight, would you show us our deep, deep need for you, for your salvation? Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We don't want to be distracted. Anything else going on in this room is so much less than getting to see you, getting to know you now. So come, Holy Spirit, and work in our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Before I jump, I want to I illustrate our need for salvation like this. Have you ever had a moment where you were, where you were saved from like danger or something super intense at like just the right moment? Levi raised his hand right away. Like, like a moment where it's like at just the right time, like, like the answer that you needed came through and like it saved the day. Any of you guys ever had a situation like that? Let me, let me illustrate it like this. As many of you know, I am the youngest child in my family. Youngest children, go ahead, make some noise. I see you. You're loud, bold, bold, and proud. Okay. Youngest child in the family. So I grew up as the youngest of four. And, and growing up, so, 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 so you know a little about little, like, little me, like seven, eight-year-old, even like all the way up to like 13 year, years old, I was a super tiny kid. Okay. I was tiny. I was like Three foot nothing, I was like four pounds if the wind blew too hard, it was taking me. Like, like I was a super, super small kid. And so being a very small kid and also being the youngest, that didn't, that didn't go too well for me in, in context to, you know, if, if my siblings and I were having some, some tension. Everyone say tension. You can do, do this way. Say, say some tension, right? Like where there, there's maybe some tension going on. Now I, the Lord has done a lot of work in my heart. I, I have come before him and said, Lord, search me and know me, even six-year-old me. And what I've come to find is like, I'm actually probably like the instigator of like most of like the, the tension and conflict as like a youngest child, right? Like youngest children, if you were to be honest with yourselves, like, and like not too prideful, you'd say like, yeah, I start most of the fights. Like you're constantly like provoking, like making fun of your older brother, like for having like a girlfriend. Like, oh, you're texting your girlfriend, like, and like you run away. Like that's just like the type of thing you do as a youngest child. Does anyone relate? Good. And the rest of you will relate in like five years if you're the youngest child. Like, like there's something about like being the youngest child. Like, you're provoking, you're messing around, but like you never do anything wrong, right? It's always your older siblings, right? That's what you tell your parents, right? Exactly. You're basically perfect. I don't want to preach heresy. Jesus is perfect, okay? But like, but something, something that would happen is after I like provoke and like poked at specifically my older brothers, Pastor Victor and my oldest brother, Augustine, what would often happen is because I was so small, it didn't take much for them to put me in my place. Now, thankfully, they, they weren't like super rough. Like they could like beat me up. They were nice, but also like I feel like they kind of savored some like some torture, okay? If you're not the youngest child, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the opportunity just to kind of like, I don't even got to like beat them up hard. It's like there's specific things you can do to get in their head that just drive them crazy, right? Like so, so what, what Pastor Victor would do, some of you guys are not going to believe this because he's so amazing and sweet and kind. And he still was, but he could also really put me in my place. What I, because I was so small, what he would do is he would sit on me and like pin me on the ground. And, and he would just do this little thing where he would just like lightly slap me on the face. Just like... 
I didn't, I'm sorry, Josh, I know I had the mic right there. He was kind of slapping me back and forth. And it was never like, like he wasn't like walloping on me, thankfully. That would be messed up. But it would be like light, light little slaps, right? And then if I got smart and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to not turn my face so we can't keep doing it. You know what happened? Just and so then I finally turned because I was so frustrated. And it was like, at first it was kind of whatever, or like I'd maybe laugh. And like three minutes later, I'd be sitting there like, God, would you come back? Right? Like, you're just stuck there, like, just getting slapped in the face. But what was even worse was my, was my oldest brother. How many of y'all know, like, the oldest child? Like, they, they can put you in your place and put, like, the fear of God in you, the fear of, like, everything else in you, right? But what my oldest brother would do, he was much bigger than me, is he would sit on me, pin my arms to the ground. I'm too small to, like, fight back or do anything. I'm just sitting there stuck. And what he would do is he wouldn't even, like, say a word. You would just hear this sound. This is like TMI for some of you, and some of you are going to be like, like really, you're going to feel heard. Like you know what, what I've experienced. He starts like making this sound in his mouth. He's like, <laughs> some of you, yep. And he starts like building up like, like a spit bubble in his mouth. So, <laughs> some of y'all know, some of y'all know. And so as he's like pinning, like pinning me down, I'm stuck there powerless. And all of a sudden he starts doing this thing where like he makes it look like, I got a cough. <laughs> he looks like he's about to like, like spit on me and starts like coming out of his mouth and like like a, like a yo-yo or something like he pulls it back in and just goes back and forth and goes back and forth and you're sitting there like like what could be worse like it's it was it was like torture just to sit there and watch him do like he didn't have to beat me or anything it was just like just that little bit of torture was terrible can any of you guys relate yeah yeah okay it's, it's messed up. It's also kind of creative. I respect it. It's also kind of weird. Like, bro, why is that the first thing you're thinking of? Anyways, but like, like when I was stuck in that moment, like getting slapped in the face or my brother making spit bubbles and doing a weird yo-yo thing with it, there would be like a sound that was like, it was like salvation. It was like, thank God for deliverance. And it was a sound of like the garage door going up and mom and dad getting home from date night. Right? Yes, yes, I've heard. Right, like, like it's this amazing sound of like, okay. The time is coming to an end, right? Like, like okay, like in five or ten seconds, like Victor Augustine, no, mom and dad are about to walk in the door and they got to like go up, like go up the stairs and act like yeah, they were just doing homework in their room. Super studious, right? And, and like, and there was this moment of it was like, oh my goodness, I'm being saved from this torture. I'm being saved. I'm being delivered from the agony of watching spit bubbles above me for ten minutes. You know, it's like. I'm being saved from danger. And the reality is for us to, to properly understand salvation, we have to realize that God saves us from something. Everyone say from. God saves us from something. Now what does this mean? I need a, I need a cup of water. I was yelling too much. I was, all of that was coming up in me. All right. What does it mean that God has to save us from something. Pastor Tim beautifully touched on this last week, talking about the issue of sin and our need for God to come and to send Jesus. The two primary words are used in Scripture for, for to save, where we get the words for salvation. First, in, in the Hebrew is this word yasah. Everyone say yasah. Yasah means to, to deliver, to give freedom. And what we see is that the, this verb is often used throughout Israel's History, right? If you think about some of the main things that happened to the nation of Israel, we have the captivity and the slavery that they endure in Egypt, right? Like Moses showing up, let my people go, like the staff, all those things. 
We see that, that what God does is, is, is yasah. He delivers them. He sets them free. And so salvation was saving them from slavery so that they could be the people of God. Are you tracking with me? Or, or we see when, when we see like when Israel is in exile in Babylon, that God sets them free and delivers them from exile so they can go back to their home. Land. This, it's this idea of Yassah to set free or to deliver, to, to take them from something and put them into something better. Everyone say better. Is that is the word Yassah. In Greek, it's this word sozo. Everyone say sozo. Sozo means to save, but it also means to make whole. Everyone say make whole. If you're taking notes, I want you guys to write these things down. Sozo means to make whole. And often this word is used in, in, when it's describing kind of what Jesus does in physical healings. Now obviously what he does in physical healings is not the same thing as, as the forgiveness of sins and, and giving eternal life. But there's a similar quality that when, when Jesus kind of shows us what does it mean to be saved, Jesus doesn't come just to give us the get out of hell free card. Okay, hear me tonight, hear me. He doesn't come just so, okay, they prayed a prayer, so it's like, cool, like, I'll make sure, like, they don't go to hell, and then kind of just keep doing your thing, do, like, live your life. No, 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 no. What Jesus does is he saves us from our sin, from death, from ignorance of the truth, because he wants to make you and I whole. Everyone say whole. He wants to make us whole. Now, this is... Super, super important for us to understand. Because if we don't understand that God saves us from something in order to make us whole, we will not understand the weight of the gift of salvation. Are you talking to me? Like, if we don't understand that God is not just kind of giving us this something nice and a cute story that we can remember at Easter and on Christmas Eve, if that's all the gospels, if that's all that salvation is to us, it really doesn't have much of an impact on us, does it? Right, And maybe some of you have experienced that, like, when you think about your Christian life, like, oh, it's kind of lame, it's kind of boring, like, you know, it's just, it's just a story from 2,000 years ago. I show up to church, yeah, I hear about this, this Jesus guy, but it doesn't mean anything for me today. And friends, look at me, look at me. If we don't understand that Jesus saves us from something, then we don't understand the weight of the gospel. What we see is that Jesus saves us from sin, from death, so that we may be made whole. Now this is why this is important. It's going to be up on the screen. I want you to write this down. When we understand that Jesus comes to make us whole, we see that salvation is not simply cheap grace. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not just Jesus being nice one day and just kind of, just like, yeah, like, I'll forgive you and, and just keep kind of doing your thing. My death, my resurrection, it has no impact on the way you live. Just cheap grace. Do your thing. If you come, yeah, I'll forgive you. Keep doing your thing. It's okay if you keep living in sin. That's often what we think about the gospel. But the reality is that salvation is not cheap grace. It is a free gift. Everyone say free gift. Everyone say free gift. It is a free gift that leads us into transformation and wholeness. Everyone say transformation. Everyone say wholeness. This gift of salvation is something that leads us into transformation and wholeness. Look at these passages with me in 1 John, starting in 1 John 2. Disciple John says this, And by this we know that we have come 
to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Flip the page now to 1 John chapter 3. This is going to be a long passage. It's going to be up on the screen. Read along with me. Keep tracking with me. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Strong language here. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. I lost my place. Sorry. Makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Everyone say born of God. He's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now if you're hearing this passage tonight, if you're listening, you're probably sitting there like, oh my gosh. Right? Like like these words that John writes are pretty intense. Right? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is a child of the devil. Like, like, dang, John, like you're having a bad day. No, no, no. Like, he's saying what's true. And now let, let, me, let me note this. Let me know this. Everyone, everyone look at me. Everyone listen to me. I want to make sure you guys get this clearly. There's a huge difference between struggling with sin and making a practice of sin. Okay? There's a huge, huge difference between. Uh, like struggling with sin and, and, and slipping into temptation versus making a practice of sin. Let me, let me show this. In 1 John 1 and in 1 John 2, John invites the church to come and to confess their sins to one another, for he is faithful and just to forgive us. Everyone say confess. This is why even last week we gave you a space, we're going to do it again tonight, for you to come up to, to trusted leaders, to come in and, to, and to open up about what you're struggling with. Let me, friends, hear me. This is a safe place to do that. You can, you can do that. And you can come to your brother and sister and say, hey, I, I'm struggling with this and I need help. Hey, I, my, in my relationship, I've been, I've been struggling with this. Would you, would you keep me accountable? Would you pray for me? Hey, hey, I've been, I've been wrestling with these doubts and these questions, with these fears. I, like, I'm struggling with the sinful behavior. Would you pray for me? Would you walk alongside of me? That is good. Okay, that, is, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Even in 1 John 2, it says that when we sin, we have an advocate. So, so when, Jesus, when we start following Jesus, he's not sitting there expecting that we'll never make another mistake. Okay, do you hear me tonight? I want you to know that. There's a difference between struggling with sin and making a practice out of sin. Sometimes when we, when we grow up in church, we kind of hear about the story of Jesus in the gospel Sometimes what we can begin to do is use his grace as a cover-up for our sins. Right, everyone listen to me. I care about you, so I want you to get this. We can use 
This idea of his grace, of his mercy, of his love, as kind of a cheap cover-up. And you know what we can do is say, no, 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 because Jesus did all these things, like, I, I can keep living on sin and like, he'll forgive me. I can, I can keep on doing my thing. I don't need to change my physical boundaries and my relationship because Jesus is going to forgive me. Let's make it real tonight. I can keep gossiping about the people in my school. I can keep on mistreating the people around me because like, oh, Jesus is cool with it. He's, so, he's super nice. He'll forgive. Friends, hear me. The Apostle Paul answers this in Romans 6. He says, shall we continue on sinning so that grace may increase by no means. Everyone say by no means. Everyone say by no means. He says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? Friends, hear me. The reason why there's passages like this in Scripture where, where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, is not because you have to do A, B, C, D in order to, to earn God's love. That's not the gospel we believe. But the reality is that, that when we put our faith in Jesus, hear me, guys, when we put our faith in in Jesus, when we understand the weight of his death and his resurrection, it will automatically lead to transformation and wholeness as a byproduct. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? This is, this is key right here. Because when we sometimes talk about salvation, we see it as something just kind of cheap and easy. And the reality is that when we respond to the grace of God, what it leads to is transformation. Let me demonstrate it like this. I gave a similar analogy two weeks ago as we talked about how God is love, as we were talking about God is Father, Son, Spirit. But imagine, Lindsay and I, at our wedding, May 27th. We're about to hit one year on Saturday. Hallelujah. Good stuff. Imagine, imagine this, that, which I just need to say, she's going to hate this. Babe, I'm so sorry. You sounded fantastic tonight. You led so strong. And my, my man, little Jerry right here, he was like, is that your wife singing? I was like, yeah. He was like, man, she's so good. I wish I could sing like that. It's like, hey, you're, you're a sixth grade, seventh grade boy. Like, you may have the same range right now. It works. But, <laughs> I got you, little Jerry. But, like, imagine if, if at our wedding, May 27, 2022, almost a year ago, if, if we're sitting there and it's time for us to give our vows. And I want to tell Lindsay how much I love her. Right? Everyone say all. Everyone say all. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Awesome. Okay. Like, imagine if I want to tell her how much I love her, how much I care about her. But it gets to, gets to our vows, and I'm, and I'm sitting across looking at her. I'm like, Lindsay, Eden Cochran, I really love you. Love you so much. But I don't really believe in this whole vow thing. Because I don't want to change anything about how I'm living. Like, I, I, I love you so much. Like, you mean the world to me, but like, I don't really want to serve you. Like, I love you so much. Like, like you're my girl. But like, but I don't really want to like do the dishes. I don't really want to, like, work a job to provide. You say pass. Well said. Like, like, like I don't really want to do that. Or, like, no, like, I love you so much. But, like, once the NBA Finals are on, like, date night's done. Like, I'm turning that game on. Like, like can you imagine? You know, it's like all of you would look at her and be like, leave that dude right now. Right? You'd be like, there's no way. But here's the thing. As often we think that, that God is either kind of absent and being just like, yeah, you know, forgive us sins, but keep doing you, keep doing you. Or we think that God's calling us to performance. And friends, hear me. The reason why we as believers, why we obey Jesus is not to earn him. It's because when we understand how much he loves us, when we understand the weight of his salvation, we can't help but to show our love for him in everything that we do. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me tonight? 
This is, this is key to understand the message of salva salvation. What Christ has done is finished, but what he invites you into is so much more than some cheap grace. You pray a prayer and you move on and forget about him. And here's the good news. Everyone hear me. That Jesus loves you enough to save you from your sin. To save you from death. To save you from the things that actually lead to destruction in our world, that lead to destruction in your life. Imagine if all that salvation was, was Jesus kind of giving you the cheap, like, oh, you're good. Keep, keep doing your sin thing, it's fine. Like, you pray the prayer. We will continue to live in the very thing that kills us and kills our world. Is that love? Is that, is that God being just to kind of allow the thing that is destroying his creation to allow sin, the vehicle of death, just to kind of continue to live on? No. He loves you enough, friends. Hear me tonight. Hear me. I want you guys to hear this. God cares about you so, so much that he, when he saves you, he wants to save you from sin and save you from death and save you from destruction so you can know him. Are you tracking me? Good news. This is what I want to do. With that in mind, as we talk about salvation, and not as merely a, a cheap grace or a get out of hell free card, but I do want to tell you tonight that salvation is a gift that is freely given to us by God and sustained by God. It'll be up on the screen. I want you to write it down. Salvation is a gift that is given to us by God free gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's where we see the love and grace of Jesus. So it's a free gift that is given to us by God and it is sustained. Everyone say sustained. Go ahead, everyone say sustained. Stay engaged with me. It is sustained by God. I want to give you just three simple points real quick to show what is true biblical salvation. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. I want to move through these fast. Number one, is that God wills our salvation. God wills our salvation. Go ahead and put up that passage in 2 Peter, Nick. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. Everyone say patient. The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, hear me. It is, it is God's will. That his people would come to repentance. A humankind, that, that men and women would come to God and acknowledge their need for him. That they would know who he is. This is God's will. is for salvation. Look at this familiar passage, John 3, 16. For God so loved. Everyone say so loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Might be what? Might be. Might be saved through him. Friends, hear me tonight. Scott, we can go ahead and turn the lights a little low. Hear me tonight. God desires your salvation. God deeply desires for you to be saved from the thing that is destroying 
your life, that is destroying the people around you. He deeply desires for you to be saved from that and for you to know how much he loves you. You're talking right now. Be quiet. For, be quiet. I want everyone to look at me. Everyone to look at me. I want to say these simple words over you. That God desires you. That God desires relationship with you. You. God desires his, his very will is that we would know him. This is why when we, when we talked about God as Trinity a few weeks ago, we emphasized, I talked about how the reality that God has always existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In a relationship of love, of self-giving, of glorifying one another, means that he doesn't need anything from us. Like he didn't create you because he was lonely and he needed some love or praise. No, no, no. But he created you so that he could pour out his love on you. And as he pours out his love on you, that you would see how amazing he is glorified. And this is such a simple aspect of the gospel. But I think if you were to be honest with yourself, a lot of you in this room, shh, no one talking, listen, listen. A lot of you in this room, you would doubt that God actually desires relationship. Like you think that God kind of looks over you. The reality is, is that, that he wills your salvation. He wills that you know him. Good news, that he desires, cares about you. Number two is this. Jesus purchases salvation. Number one is that, that God wills our salvation. Number two is that Jesus purchases our salvation. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, everyone say still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The pastor I was listening to this week said it like this. Shh, listen, listen, listen. As he was talking about the gospel and calling his church to be awakened to the beauty of the gospel, he said, how many of your sins were future sins and Jesus died on the cross for you. Think about that. How many, how many of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross for you? All of them, right? Every single one of them. All the sins that you committed before you were in this room, from the time you were born till now you sitting in this seat, and every sin that you would commit after, guess what? Jesus, being fully God, knows every single sin that you would ever commit. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter that, that every single one of our sins were future sins when Jesus died? It means that he purchased you at your worst. He purchased you at your worst. Like, like can you imagine that? Like when I think about the amount of sins I've committed in my 22 years of life, and when I think about like the amount of sins I will commit until the day that I die, 
That's a lot of sins. Like me provoking my older brothers, which led to my face getting smacked and spit on. Like the sins of, of pride, the sins of selfishness, the insecurity that leads me to try to, to impress other people, the sin that I live in. Jesus knew all of it. From the day I was born to the day that I die. And guess what? He chose to purchase me at my worst. He chose to purchase you at your worst. Knowing every single sin you would ever commit in your entire life. You don't believe me? Look at this passage in Ephesians 1. Put it up there, Nick. Ephesians 1. Even as he chose. Everyone say he chose. Even as he chose us in him before. Everyone say before. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Everyone say his will. Go back to that last, go, go back to, to verse 4. Sorry, Nick. One, one more back. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Friends, get this. Pay attention. God chose that his will was for salvation, for restoration, to bring wholeness before anything ever existed. And God the Father in his wisdom and his goodness in his love creates a world fully knowing how many sins you would commit. How many sins you would commit. How many sins I would commit. For my entire life. And still he chose to purchase us knowing everything we would do. The amount of times that we'd come into a youth service like this and say, Jesus, I love you. And walk out of this door and take it lightly chose to purchase you at your worst. This is good news. And this is what this means. Because he has chosen us, because he has purchased us. Put on that next passage in John 10, Nick. What it says, Jesus says is about his sheep, the people of his flock. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Go to the next slide. Nick. Hebrews 4 says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. Everyone say hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. What this word means in the, Greek, in the Greek is to co-suffer. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, everyone say confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, hear me tonight. I know that a question that many, many of us ask in our lives is how, how do I know if I'm saved? Like, can, can that change, can that be taken away? Like, if I sin too much, if I fall short too much, like, like does that mean, like, I, like, I don't, I'm not saved anymore? What do these passages tell us? 
that when you are saved, when you come to Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your everything, Jesus says, no one can snatch those out of my hand. And the Father who has given them to me, who is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Hear me tonight. You're a believer in Jesus. You don't need to live in fear. You don't need to live in fear because Christ has already purchased you. He has already died for you. He has already been risen back to life. Hold on to that hope. Lastly, number three. That Jesus sustains salvation because he is salvation. Jesus sustains salvation. He keeps it going. Jesus sustains salvation because he is salvation. Friends, hear me. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. The gift of salvation is not kind of like it's its own thing. The gift of salvation is that God has given us himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And what that means is that Jesus Christ himself, who is salvation, come and give his life for you. He has purchased you. Here's the good news. This is what scripture tells us. Look at, look at 1 John 2. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Everyone say advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look at Hebrews Actually, wait, wait, I have a good quote. Wait, wait, don't go to the Hebrews yet. Speaking of Christ's advocacy, the writer says, yes, we fail Christ as his disciples. We fall short. But his advocacy, him standing by our side defending us, his advocacy on our behalf rises higher than our sins. His advocacy, his defense of us speaks louder than our sins. His advocacy speaks louder than our our failures. All is taken care of. What does this mean? That when you fall short, you know where Jesus is? Seated at the right hand of God. And when the enemy, when the devil who comes to accuse you, comes to God and says, look, that, that guy, that girl, they're a failure. Look at how often they sin. They're not righteous. They're, and he starts accusing. You know what Jesus does? He says, no, 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 no. I'm their advocate. Let me tell you what's true about them. I have purchased them already. They are forgiven. No, no, let me tell you what's true about them. They're my son. No, no, they're my daughter. And nothing can change that. Why? Because what I have done is final. Let me tell you, when the devil's coming to accuse you, or even when you feel shame and condemnation, hear this verse that Christ is your advocate. He's got your back. He's defending you. He didn't die on the cross, raise back to life, go up to heaven, and, and hang it up and say, okay, I'm done. I'm done. No, he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God to advocate for you, to defend you. And look at what Hebrews 7 tells us. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. Everyone say uttermost. 
He's able to save to the uttermost or completely. He's able to make whole those who draw near to God through him. Watch this. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what that means? You know what intercession means? It means that Jesus, once again, seated at the right hand of God, is praying for you. Listen, I... Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God praying for you by name. Saying, Lord, would you help Ali to be able to continue to walk with you? Lord, would you help Bear to continue to be bold? Help him to know that he is a son of God. Lord, Hawk can know that he's adopted into my family and that I love him. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is there sitting at the right hand of God praying for you. Praying for you, Bell. Praying for you, Abel. Praying for you, Andrew. He's got your back. He, and what he's doing, he didn't just die on the cross, raise back to life and say, I'm done. But your salvation, the gift of Jesus Christ given to you himself, Jesus sustains that gift. Are you tracking me? So this is what I want us to do. Everyone go ahead and stand up. Don't talk. Don't talk. Shh. I want to read this quote. And as I do, I want you to close your eyes. What we're going to do is I'm going to invite our, our leaders to come up again like last week. Go ahead and close your eyes where you're at right now, students. Leaders, come on up and kind of fill up the sides, the front. As we go into worship, I have a few invitations for you guys. Number one is if you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're in this room, you've never heard the gospel or you've never responded to the good news of the gospel, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. I want to, to turn from my way of sin and death, and to accept your salvation that saves me from this and leads me into adoption. And I want you to come forward and ask for prayer. One of these leaders. Let me tell you, that's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Receiving the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus for you. If you're in this room and you're struggling with sin, You're struggling with sin and, and you want to walk in freedom. And you need God's help to save you from death, from sin. Lead you into his life. I want you to come up and ask for prayer. Like I said in 1 John 2, when we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So I want you to come forward and talk to a leader you know, talk to a leader you trust. Be open, confess your sins, to be able to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Friends, hear me. He doesn't hold shame against us. His forgiveness is so beautiful. Close your eyes. I want to read this quote over you. Talking about Christ as our advocate. Same author. He writes, do not minimize your sin or excuse it away. Raise no defense. Simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father 
advocating for you on the basis of his wounds. Let your own unrighteousness and all of your darkness and despair drive you to Jesus Christ, the righteous, in all his brightness and sufficiency. Close your eyes. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to show us how beautiful salvation you offer us is. To show us how good Jesus is. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who have heard the gospel many times, of maybe even kind of prayed a prayer, but not understood the weight of salvation. That you call them into something deeper, something that would transform them and bring them from life to death, or from death to life. Would they know, God, beauty of your love and forgiveness. And Lord, for those who the gospel has become just a, a distant, far off story that has nothing to do with them, Holy Spirit, show that you desire every individual in this room to know you, to walk with you and to know your love for them. Jesus, take some time to worship. You can respond and singing the song, also come up for prayer if you want to dedicate your life to Jesus or if you want to come confess your sins and to receive the forgiveness of God. Let's worship, brothers and sisters.